Today's episode is presented by Early Bird. Early Bird is the simplest way for parents, family, and friends to collectively invest in a child's financial future starting at the earliest age. Early Bird's mobile app empowers parents and families to start saving for their child's financial future in a matter of minutes, while activating a child's broader community to gift contributions on birthdays, holidays, or any occasion. Christian, I know saving for my child's college education can be stressful, especially wanting your child to have the best opportunity available. That's why we're teaming up with Early Bird to give our listeners a free $15 investment to give to a child you love. Simply go to partners.getearlybird.com io slash podcast or the link in our show notes download the app and create an account today early bird build the nest and invest in the children you love nerds it's time to suit up and nerd up launching badass rockabilly track now casting your arch enemy time to save the world with some wrestling video games movies horror and more launching ans in three two one. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, this week we'll be breaking down the first episode of Marvel's What If and reviewing the Suicide Squad, along with part one of the season finale of The Bad Batch. And hey, who remains in NXT? Find out later this episode. (laughs) Alright, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd show swag let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions well first up venom let there be carnage pushed back due to covid concerns well this sucks uh sony pictures has delayed venom let there be carnage as a result of the covid19 pandemic once again Uh, Rather than being released on September 24th, the Venom sequel will now arrive in theaters October 15th. So I'm just terrified this is going to cause a domino effect. I know Halloween Kills is scheduled also to come out that weekend, um, but are they going to really want to go up against Venom? My guess is probably not. Um, And if Halloween Kills ends up moving to another weekend, I see that just causing a huge ripple effect because October and the rest of the fall is jam-packed with films that were supposed to come out last year and didn't. So, and it feels like that whole nightmare is happening all over again. So, I don't know, just people, please just, I mean, I beg of you, be safe, you know, be smart, Christian. I don't know. You say something because I'm about to. Man, I was just like reconsidering maybe getting a list again because movies are coming out so often, uh-huh. and I was ready to go back to the theater every week. Yeah, uh, I, it's it's depressing. Yeah. But you know, if you <laughs> if you want to support the show, you can always get a mask at tpublic.com, <laughs> and not only will that support the show, but it'll help us continue to create content because you're stopping this fucking pandemic. Uh-huh. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> you trying to profit off this pandemic, man? <laughs> Fuck yeah, I am. But you know what? Keep public when you buy a mask, they actually donate a mask. So okay, there's well, that, there. right? You're doing, See, there you're doing you go. some good. But yeah, I mean, no one can blame the studios, though. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they are in the industry to make money. So if no one's going to show up to these films, they're not going to put these films out. So 
I don't know. I don't know. I just I don't understand what people are thinking, but let's move on, Christian. Well, up next, it looks like Disney is casting Sabine for its Ahsoka series. So the Hollywood Reporter has a source connected to Lucasfilms that is confirming that the studio is looking for an actress to play Sabine opposite of Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka. Uh, we know that Dawson showed up as Ahsoka during uh, the second season of The Mandalorian, and that Ahsoka is scheduled to get her own series shortly, uh, although it does not have a premiere date at this point. Honestly, I'm not surprised at all by this news. Uh, the last we saw Sabine, she was with Ahsoka at the, you know, in the finale of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, they were about to begin their search for Ezra. So this only makes sense, especially with all the rumors going around of them casting Ezra and uh, Thrawn. So I don't know, man, I'm getting more and more excited for this series as the days go by. And hopefully we get a premiere date soon. Agreed. Like, yeah, it makes sense. If, if they've casted Ezra already, there's no reason that Sabine hasn't been casted already, too, or or at least in the process of being casted. Exactly. It only makes sense for the story. If they do cast her, though, um, I really hope that we get some interaction between Sabine and like the rest of the Mandalorians, uh, you know, like Bo-Katan and, you know, Mando himself. So um, it'd be really cool to see that dynamic, especially with their you know current conflict of the Darksaber, since, you know, she just kind of handed it over to Bo-Katan. And now Bo-Katan's all like, hey, we got to follow the rules yeah. and fight over yeah, this Yeah, Sabine thing. just hands it over to her. <laughs> but now yes. that's apparently not good enough for Bo-Katan. And she, she wants to battle to the death for it. So. Exactly. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Also, Disney's Miss Marvel series most likely coming out in 2022. So yes, during Disney's earning call this week, like usual, they gave people a glimpse of the upcoming schedule, and Miss Marvel was noticeably not mentioned. And at this point, it pretty much confirms that Miss Marvel won't premiere this year. Uh, and honestly, that's kind of something that we kind of speculated on when they announced Hawkeye for Thanksgiving, just because I couldn't see them making that announcement if Miss Marvel was set to debut before that. And with Hawkeye's late premiere date, they just are running out of time, uh, especially knowing that uh, Book of Boba is supposed to be coming out sometime in December. And it seems like Disney is, you know, doing this strict one show at a time thing. So uh, I would definitely suspect that Miss Marvel will hit sometime early 2022 now. Netflix and Tim Burton's Wednesday Adams series finds its Morticia and Gomez Adams. Yeah, so according to Variety, the series has casted Luis Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones to play Gomez and Morticia. We know that the duo will be joining Jenna Ortega, who will be playing the series lead Wednesday. So as far as the show, it's about Wednesday's years as a student at Nevermore Academy. Uh, Wednesday is attempting to master her emerging psychic abilities to stop a monstrous killing spree that has terrorized the local town. She's also trying to solve a supernatural mystery that involved her parents 25 years ago, all the while navigating her new and very tangled relationships with a strange and diverse student body. So I'm definitely looking forward to this, especially with Tim Burton involved, because this just feels like it fits perfectly in his wheelhouse. But at the same time, I said that about Dark Shadows and that movie ended up sucking. So I don't know. Who knows? So like, I, I can picture Catherine Zeta-Jones. I'm, I'm having a little hard time with Louis Guzman here. I, I've seen him in tons of things. I think he's a great actor. I'm just not picturing him in the role just yet. I, I and maybe this will change my mind. But you know, I, so far, not there he yet. He is gonna win you over, Christian. Probably. I think he's hilarious in most movies he's in. Yeah, so. exactly. He's got tons of charisma. 
All right, Christian, so because of Sylvie's timeline-shattering actions in Loki, the multiverse is now thriving in the MCU, leaving us reaping the benefits with a new weekly series to break down. So without further ado, let's talk Marvel's What If. Warning spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's What If ahead. You have been warned. Where have you been in my life? The allies must be desperate. Sending in a fragile Fraulein to fight for them. Fragile? The multiverse has exploded and now with our very first episode of Marvel's What If series, we get a glimpse into the infinite possibilities of a truly free timeline. After a short introduction by The Watcher, we're led into our first scenario, that being what if Peggy Carter had been given the Super Soldier Serum instead of Steve Rogers. With just one simple change in decision making, with like Peggy Carter choosing to stay along Steve's side before he steps into the chamber instead of joining others in the observation deck, we quickly enter an alternate reality where the assassin from the Captain America scene attempts to steal the serum early after getting noticed by Peggy. Steve, trying to be a hero before being injected with the serum, gets shot and wounded, leaving Peggy the only one left to stand up to the task of being the first human super soldier, as they only have really one shot at trying this experiment, and no one else is really qualified or even willing to take it on. So first of all, I feel like the trailer and like all the promo art that we've seen for the series, you know, before it was released, really didn't do justice to the animation style. Like, I really, yeah. really thought this looked amazing. Um, super, like, photorealistic, but it had this kind of weird, almost vintage look. Kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, like the 40s, like, Superman um, cartoon from back in the day. Um, just everything really popped on the screen. And the way that they mm. handled action in this series is pretty fucking breathtaking. Uh, you know, everything had impact. Everything looked beautiful. I was hooked like in the first like five minutes. No, I have to say there's a there's a montage that'll happen later on where the, the animation is just so fluid. Like there's a moment where she's jumping onto a plane. And I was just like, man, that just looks like I can't imagine the amount of time just put into the wrinkles uh -huh. of her clothing, yeah. let alone her motion there. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, serious attention to detail. Now jacked as all hell, Peggy Carter looks poised to take on Nazis and Hydra alike, but Colonel John Flynn and the powers that be choose to hide her behind the scenes due to their beliefs of women not being soldiers. They choose to even keep her from the public eye, unlike what they did with Steve, as we're reminded by the now still scrawny Steve in this episode when he states, you know, that at least they're not using her for propaganda in the USO tour. Yeah, this kind of theme like carries on throughout, you know, the episode, which makes perfect sense because it's something that Peggy was dealing with, you know, through the entire uh, Agent Carter run. It ultimately seems like their goal going forward is to just use Peggy as an experiment to further test on in hopes to, you know, really make their perfect ideal super soldier, even though we're able to see that Peggy took to the serum just as well as Steve had in the original timeline. I mean, if not better, because she's already a skilled fighter because she's a trained agent. And later on in the episode, you see that Peggy doesn't necessarily have the same like moral issues, 
you know, in the middle of a battle that Steve does. I mean, which again goes to show just how special Steve is and why he was probably perfect for this job. Because I, I did start to think like, would you know, what would she be like in the modern day? Mm. You know, in some of those scenarios that he's been in, like, is she just going to go in and execute a motherfucker? And there's, <laughs> and that's just the end of it. Like, <laughs> maybe. I mean, she's definitely a Nazi killing machine. You know, in this uh-huh. episode, so. <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> Carter continues to, you know, push forward, looking for any chance to get into the fight. This is when Howard Stark brings up an interesting Gamma signature that came from a Hydra mission in Tornsberg, Norway. This mission being one conducted by none other than the Red Skull himself, as he, like he did in the original timeline, collects the Tesseract. I guess it's also fun to point out that Tornsberg, Norway is also the home of New Asgard later on. And I think a couple other things that happened in the MCU actually happened there. I was actually surprised to learn that later on. I had no clue, man. <laughs> yeah, that went right over my head. Flynn still against sending Peggy out into the field and undermining Stark's warnings of the Tesseract being in the hands of the Nazis, you know, shrugs off any notion of sending men out to stop Red Skull. But Stark chooses to go behind Flynn's back anyway and makes a modified suit and shield now bearing the Union Jack for Peggy. This again, just paralleling the first Avenger film. I really love the uniform here. I was kind of hoping that it would like have a cowl and they just didn't show it in like, you know, all the promo arts. <laughs> so like she could go full on Captain Britain because it, it gave uh-huh. me like strong Captain Britain like vibes, even though like she's not going by that moniker. Um, mm-hmm. Because eventually she even gets the sword. So, you know, I, I don't know, maybe later on in the series, you know, she'll go by that, you know, name, but we'll see. I just think you like cows, man. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Peggy gets her first taste of action as she wields the shield against Hydra agents and tests her own strength by literally punching a guy's knee backwards and ultimately collects the Tesseract from Artem Zola, which again creates a much different path than what we've seen in Captain America. This was probably my favorite sequence in the entire show. Um, I thought this was amazing. Everything felt like it had impact. And I think that was due to its sound design. Um, Just really well done. You could tell that they were giving it like the true like MCU treatment here. And once again, like, you know, Peggy is a trained killer. So her fighting style is much more brutal than Steve's. And it really just showed with this entire scene. I definitely appreciated that they were willing to slow this moment down, at least compared to the rest of the episode, because the so episode we can watch does the like yeah. Nazis fly into the fire. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> that happened multiple times here. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I mean, the episode as a whole, they're trying to shove, you know, everything that happened in the first Avenger within 30 minutes. So it's it's going pretty quickly. And I, I appreciate that they at least stopped here for this one big moment for Peggy in this episode. No, I agree, 100%. Howard Stark, now with an unlimited power source in his possession, comes up with the idea of bringing Steve back into the fight too. This time, mecked up similar to the Iron Man Mark I suit, but being called the Hydra Smasher. I love that they found a way to include Steve in on the action. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's cool that Howard kind of invented the Iron Man suit before Tony here. Um, the suit looks like a giant flying tank, and that's just awesome. And it's cool seeing Peggy and Steve work together, you know, in these war zones, something that we never really got before. 
Meanwhile, Peggy goes and saves Bucky and the Howling Commandos from an encampment, along with aid from Mecha Steve Rogers. You know, honestly, this version of Iron Man really reminds me a lot of the Iron Giant. I was bringing it up as I was watching the show, almost more so than the Mark One, but it's still badass nevertheless. And I think part of that's due to like the animation style, because once again, I can't put my finger on it, but it does have this kind of almost like this vintage type feel to it. Do you get that at all? If I if I compare it to the animation of like the Iron Giant, there's there's definitely a little bit more weight to a lot of what we're seeing. I'll say that. Yeah, no, something about it just reminds me a lot of like those like, you know, old Superman cartoons from the 40s. I think a lot of it, too, is like the way they move. Like it's so fluid, the motions, you know, and I think it's just that like marriage between like the 2D and the 3D, you know, animation that they've got going on. You know, it's just really well layered. The new dynamic duo of Peggy Carter and, you know, the Hydra Smasher go on a long tirade with the Howling Commandos, taking on the Nazi menace and Hydra's looming threat. Now, with the blessing of Colonel Flynn, who is, you know, graciously taking credit for everything, uh, these missions all lead to the, you know, infamous train scene in the original timeline that was the death of Bucky Barnes and the birth of the Winter Soldier. However, this time around, Steve ends up in peril as while investigating the train he saves everyone by alerting them and taking the blast while still in his armor i thought this was going to be like a pretty cool deviation to the story as i was left wondering you know maybe they'll go that winter soldier route with steve this time around as he actually get, ends up getting captured by hydra instead of bucky that's exactly what i thought was going to happen i was actually uh -huh. <laughs> i was actually a little disappointed when they do eventually discover steve you know in the castle <laughs> Because mm -hmm. I start to really want to see like a Steve version of the Winter Soldier. I think there's a lot of cool things you could do with a version of Steve Rogers that got captured by Hydra. And is, well, I mean, I guess we've technically seen a Hydra version of Captain. Yeah, but... in the comics. That, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I think like this version that didn't actually get to you know be a part of their program and still this would be their way of like putting him through the super soldier serum in a different, you know, team and stuff like that. And maybe brainwashing him to like resent, you know, Peggy and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of cool stuff if they had gone that route. That's another what if, I guess. <laughs> and that's something they can explore in future seasons because we know we're going to at least get a second one. Peggy, devastated by the loss of Steve, goes right after Zola to get more information on Red Skull and what he has planned. We learn that he is attempting to open an interdimensional portal to unleash the Champion of Hydra, or whatever that might actually be. And now that the Red Skull has captured Steve, he also has the Tesseract, which had been, you know, powering the suit. You know, and with all that power, plus opening this portal, he could possibly destroy the world itself. This information is obviously enough for the squad to mount up and attack Hydra's castle. I love Peggy's interaction with uh, Flynn here, where she basically tells him, you're lucky you're even in the room right now. Mm -hmm. You know, just putting him right in his fucking place. I thought that was amazing. Um... They did a really good job in this episode of establishing the bond between Steve and Peggy, you know, in a really short period of time. And I know a lot of that is because we already know the history of the mm -hmm. characters, but that one scene of them in the restaurant together, I thought was just enough to like really, you know, feel the weight of the relationship. So when she does lose Steve, it feels real. So of course now she's going to do whatever it takes, you know, to take down Hydra, you know, in the name of Steve. 
At the castles, Peggy and Stark actually split up from the Howling Commandos and go after Red Skull. Here we find that he has in fact opened a portal as tentacles come pouring out. This monster has been rumored to be uh, Shuma Gorath, which could be a tie-in to the Doctor Strange film coming up, as this beast has also been rumored to be in the Multiverse of Madness film. And in this episode alone, we've already been introduced to this monster's destructive abilities, as it simply just killed every Hydra agent in the room, including the Red Skull. Howard's reaction to that was priceless. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I did find it curious that Howard didn't think to like make himself a suit of armor or, you know, give him any kind of weapon yeah. whatsoever. Like he's just <laughs> running around on this mission in his suit. You know, that was a little strange, but whatever. I mean, at least give the dude a gun. Or something, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Howling Commandos find Steve and his armor. Not having the Tesseract to, you know, charge it, Steve wants to stay in this fight and uses the building's power to charge up the suit for a short while and able to help Carter and the team after being rescued. Definitely classic Steve here. He's going to do whatever it takes, you know, to help out. Stark doing his damnedest and still unable to read, you know, German, struggles to close the portal. This leads to a battle between the tentacle and super soldier as Peggy grabs a nearby sword and attempts to keep the beast at bay. In comes the Hydra Smasher though as Steve barrels through the castle to help out Peggy. But without the Tesseract, the suit can't hold up against this beast. And in a last-stitch effort to save everyone, Peggy makes the ultimate sacrifice and uses brute strength to push the tentacles back through the portal. I actually kind of like this sacrifice more than, uh, you know, Steve's sacrifice in uh, the first Avenger, just because it felt like it made a little more sense. I, I never understood why Steve didn't just jump out of the fucking plane. <laughs> right? Because I feel like he'd survive uh -huh. that. Like, he doesn't need to pilot the plane all the way into the fucking water. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I know that's just comic book accurate and everything like that, but I don't know. I thought this was a cooler scene altogether. I hear what you're saying. At the same time, I feel like those tentacles could have easily just smacked her away. We've seen her get like thrown around by that thing multiple times in this scene. And then out of nowhere, it just decides I'm going to push back here. This is this is my final stand. It's all about leverage, man. <laughs> she she knows pressure points. I don't know, Christian. Sure. sure. <laughs> now you sound like my dumbass bitching about Steve piloting the plane all the way down into the water. Before the episode ends, we flash 70 years into the future to find Nick Fury and Hawkeye standing before an activated Tesseract. And of course, with severed tentacles flying everywhere, Peggy emerges to find that she has gone forward in time, leaving Steve in the past, similar to the end of the Captain America film. This was an awesome moment. It'd be cool to see like Peggy lead the Avengers team, uh, what that would look like. And we might get a glimpse of that because you know, in the trailer, we see Peggy interacting with Doctor Strange, and I was expecting to get that scene in this episode, but apparently Peggy's going to show up again sometime this season. Mm -hmm. So, um, going to be a story thread that, like, runs across this entire season. So th that should be fun to see how it plays out, because I really like this, like, version of Peggy. And mm -hmm. honestly, like, I would love to see her actually show up, like, 
in live action form in like you know the next doctor strange movie i mean how crazy would that next like avengers assemble be if they brought in all these different what if characters out of nowhere right too from the portals that would be awesome and that all could happen in the next doctor uh, strange film because we know he's dealing with the multiverse so mm. you know whatever happens in this series is going to have a direct effect on that you know on that movie um i will say about this episode i was surprised how much of the like first avenger film they were trying to cover like i didn't think that they were going to try and be like hey this is you know peggy's version of what would have happened in the first avenger movie the entire way through i didn't think we we're gonna get like beat almost beat for beat of like what it would be like from her perspective yeah but i mean they did it in a half hour so i mean it just yeah, goes no, it just, just goes to prove I'm you that that, that whole plot of the movie could have taken place in a half hour <laughs> <laughs> right i mean it's definitely the microwave version but i know what you mean mm. um because they don't like really deviate much but i was fine yeah. with it but i wouldn't mind it like the episode being like 10 minutes longer just so they could maybe even play more so with like you know this alternate reality and just see mm. like how different things really are because you didn't really get that here but i'm sure you're going to see that you know throughout the series and i'm definitely excited to see you know what superheroes we're going to get next and how they're going to play out especially as you said i don't know how you know, the through line works with marvel zombies at this point yeah and i'm i'm i'm, I'm kind of guessing that it's a deal where you know because we have the watcher narrating the series mm -hmm. and the whole thing with the watcher is like he doesn't get involved no matter what the hell's going on you know in the multiverse but maybe things get that dire that he has to put together like some kind of like multiverse team um you know because we're we're kind of seeing hints of that throughout the trailer where we're seeing mm -hmm. these different characters like kind of interacting like um uh chadwick's um star lord seems to be in more than just one episode yeah it seemed like he's in a you know similar scene as in the avengers uh scene where they're you know of course doing the camera zoom around all of the, the hero circle pan, i should say yeah. right <laughs> yeah it'd be cool if they you know maybe peggy is actually in that scene they just didn't show mm -hmm. her um but i don't know i guess we'll have to just wait and see but speaking of which it looks like we'll learn a little bit more about t'challa's avengers as star lord in the next episode yeah, and how cool is it that Chadwick's actually voicing the character, you know, and that we're actually getting, like, one last performance from him? Oh, it's great. I, like, there was definitely moments in this episode where I couldn't tell, like, if every actor had come back. But, I mean, just, I mean, looking at cast stuff, it looks like they really did get everyone, you know? <laughs> well, I know uh, Haley Atwell was back. Uh, they didn't mm -hmm. get Chris Evans, and I know they're not getting Robert Downey Jr. But, like, whoever they got for Steve did a great job. Yes. Like, it was pretty, like, seamless. Because sometimes, you know... They miscast those voices and it can just be like jarring. Um, that was not the case at all here. So, but it's nice continuity if you can get like the actual actors from the films voicing their animated characters, you know, especially throughout the series. But all right, join us next week as we talk episode two of What If. Well, all right, we saw a movie this week. That's right, Christian, we saw The Suicide Squad. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Suicide Squad ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. Here's the deal. We failed a mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. If you cough without covering your mouth. Harley, although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. What's the plan? 
How the hell am I supposed to know? You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of dicks. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks, and somebody said I'd eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problemo. Why would someone put penises all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do? Supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Belle Reve Prison join the super secret, super shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote, enemy infused island of Cordo Maltese. This is written and directed by James Gunn and stars Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, and John Cena. So, man, James Gunn gave me everything I wanted from a Suicide Squad film and then some. Gun and Task Force X are just the perfect marriage between artist and story. Just really allowing Gun to tap into like his many sensibilities as a true disciple of Lloyd Kaufman and Troma. I mean, knowing that Gun is a lifelong Fangoria kid, you could feel his joy in this film, just you know, allowing him to craft this amazing carnival of carnage. But this film isn't just an action-packed like Splatterfest, because at its core, Suicide Squad has a lot of heart, and that's all due to Gun's knack of taking these misfit characters and making you truly care for them. So at this point, we all know the story, like government agent Amanda Waller recruits a team of supervillain prisoners to go out on impossible missions for the government in exchange for reduced sentences. The mission in question this time out is to infiltrate the island of Cordo Maltese and destroy a Nazi-era prison where horrific experiments are being done on a powerful alien, Starro the fucking Conqueror. I can't believe we're getting Starro the Conqueror already <laughs> in these films. But anyway, uh, since the island's monarchs, who were allies of the United States, were just overthrown in a military coup, the U.S. can no longer look the other way uh, with these experiments, and they wish to destroy the prison before these experiments get into the wrong hands. Or so they say. The mission that ensues is just a bombastic comedic bloodbath about a ragtag group of outcasts who discover their inner heroes. The film echoes uh, The Dirty Dozen just as much as it does your standard superhero soiree. High octane and well paced, the film balances amazing action sequences and beautiful cinematography with enough quiet moments that allow us to get invested in the core team. I mean, very similar to what he pulled off with Guardians, like Gunn works his magic here and makes us care about these D-list DC characters who, like many, I've never heard of. I mean, I actually cared at the end of this film about Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher 2. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. And while Harley is a huge part of this film, and deservingly so, Gunn doesn't let her take it over. He gives the rest of the team plenty of a chance to shine, and that they do. Idris Elba, Daniela Melikor, John Cena, and David Desmelachain all have just as many memorable moments as Harley. And I'm pretty sure King Shark is my spirit animal, so... Uh, anyway, in a series where we know going in not many of the team are going to survive, I was still on the edge of my seat to the very last frame because I actually cared about these characters. So I could see like hardcore DC fans taking issue with how Gunn uses Starro here and that maybe he should be a little more powerful and that he's taken out way too easily. Um, but I don't know, man. Seeing like Starro in his full glory was just truly amazing and I loved every second. 
second of it. So, I mean, I guess it is what it is. Um, last episode, I talked about DC just needing to give Gunn the keys to the castle. And after seeing the Suicide Squad, I just have to double down on that. Like, <laughs> Gunn knows how to interject true emotion, like, into the superhero genre and make these godlike characters relatable in a way not many can do. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's also good at all the other important, like, genre things. But, <laughs> like, if he can do this with characters you've never heard of, imagine what he could do with the A-list characters you grew up with. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. I'm going to go ahead and give The Suicide Squad an A. This is definitely my favorite DC film of the DCEU era, or whatever they're calling it nowadays. I mean, The Suicide Squad is the gory good time of the summer. I'm definitely recommending it 100%. Oh, man, hands down. And I don't mean to, like, play spoiler on my own review, but I definitely think this film is going to be my, like, number one pick for our year in review we do in January. One of the first comments I made walking out of my showing of Suicide Squad was just basking in how much care there was put into every single character. Even though like we were getting a film where most of the cast gets knocked off, each one of them had at least one moment to stand out and each one of them shined in those moments. So for like the cast that actually got to live the longest, I was 100% invested with all of them. Gunn's ability to highlight and give everyone enough screen time for an audience to invest in makes all the difference in why this film stands out so much more than most of these action movies you'll go to see. But not to again like drag on Snake Eyes, but to use it as an example, there was just no character I felt like I could invest in that film. Whereas here with Suicide Squad, I fell in love with and thought a rat had more character than a lot of action heroes we have seen this year. I think the only character I even took any type of issue with was the thinker. Um, I was kind of expecting a little bit more of a bigger moment for the character. There was definitely a couple moments here and there where it seemed like he had, you know, either a mind control device already built or he had something in the works. Something that I thought would eventually lead to him being a mini boss before our big battle with Starro. But again, I might have just been reading into too much uh, as he was on screen. But, you know, fun characters aside, the film was fantastic in its cinematography and special effects which I won't lie, haven't always been the best for the DCEU, um, were outstanding in this film. King Shark and Star Wars design had enough of that kind of gritty realistic look to not take you out of the film or notice any type of flaws while also remaining true to their comic book counterparts. Unlike in past films like with Doomsday from Batman vs Superman. And you can say this, you know, kind of across the board, all the character designs and costumes worked, especially with Gunn's style of film. Like Damon said, the action keeps you on your toes from start to finish. None of the fights were plagued with a heavy shaky cam at all. Very fun and very smart choreography was used in each fight. Of course, again, Margot Robbie shows off as Harley with being able to pick up and unlatch her handcuffs with just her feet alone and the rivalry between Peacemaker and Bloodshot leads to a ton of fun kills even though a lot of them were on innocent people that didn't really deserve it. <laughs> all in all I'm an extremely happy customer and at this point I just want to give this an A+. This was the best movie I've seen all year. Um, definitely watch this film if you haven't yet. 
Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pube to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard, and one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code AMAZING, that's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, well, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. We're talking episode 15, Return to Camino. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers, Star Wars, the Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. Notify the scouts. Don't bother. They'll come to us. They don't leave their own behind. Most of the time. You tried to kill us. We didn't have a choice. <sighs> and I did. So yeah, this was a great episode um, that told the story that we were kind of hoping that we would get all along between Crosshair and the Bad Batch. 
Uh, but let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, so we start off with Hunter being taken to Kamino uh, by Crosshair and the Elite Guard. Here we find out that the Empire has evacuated everyone, deploying all the clone troopers, and anyone who refused was eliminated. So I'm wondering where they're actually sending these clone troopers. Like, are they just going to be like assimilated into like the new Galactic Army and become stormtroopers? Or are they just going to continue on as trainers? or are they going to meet a much darker fate? Yeah, at this point, I think they're probably cherry picking who they who they like and don't like. And, you know, those will be trainers and the rest are uh, probably going to be in some type of scrap heap um, of some sort. <laughs> well, it's interesting because they, they mentioned that the ones that resisted were eliminated. Mm -hmm. So obviously some of the clone troopers were not having it and must have fought back. So, I mean eventually maybe we do get that uprising um we'll see that is something i wish that we had seen a little bit more in this show like you know they they showed that some of these clones are able to resist and i want to know why <laughs> yeah they, they haven't explained that right no not at all. um and then why are they resisting here like if they're just exactly. being deployed off planet to like you know other missions or other facilities for the you know the empire then why would they rebel? Like, what was the reason behind that? Unless some of them sense what was really happening here. You know, that they were being phased out. Perhaps a reg isn't so regular. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> what? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so Crosshair ends up activating Hunter's comlink in hopes to lure the rest of the Bad Batch into a trap which the Batch seems to know, but are willing to take the risk to free Hunter. Before Rampart departs, uh, one of his guards happens to mention that he's not sure Crosshair can be trusted. Rampart seems pretty dismissive uh, to this, like suggesting that it doesn't really matter. And if he chooses to rejoin the Bad Batch, he will soon go out like the rest of the clones. Man, I mean, <laughs> this Rampart dude, like, he sure doesn't learn a lesson. Like, how many times is he going to underestimate the Bad Batch? Yeah, it seems like he's just putting on his best Tarkin impersonation at this point, uh, as, as we'll see in later events of what he's trying to do here. But um, yeah, if he keeps underestimating them, uh, he's not going to last much longer. That's for sure. Agreed. Agreed. And it might not be the Bad Batch who takes him out. It might be Tarkin himself. True. Yeah, uh, he doesn't like competition ever. <laughs> well, he doesn't like failure either. So true. So when they arrive on Kamino, Omega shows the batch a hidden entrance into Nalase's secret laboratory, where they were all, I guess, originally created. And it's revealed that Omega actually witnessed the quote unquote birth of the batch. Um, I mean, it's just weird to think that Omega's actually older than the Batch. I mean, most likely due to her not having accelerated aging, but I don't know. It's just hard for me to wrap my head around that. Yeah, I was a little, I was a little surprised by that. The kid isn't really the kid in this situation, huh? Right. Uh, she just doesn't have their training and acceleration. Yeah, was and her, and their experience. I mean, she's mm -hmm. lived in a lab basically her entire life, so. It definitely felt like there's there's a little bit more to her experimentation that we're still not aware of like it feels like they might have tortured her almost based off how she acts well, in this room i don't know like i think it's probably more something that she's witnessed because nalase seems more like a mother figure to her mm -hmm. um where i could even see like maybe next season one of the missions they go on is to try to free like nalase from the empire since we know that's where she's at right now 
Um, and we know what a big heart Omega has. And, you know, she obviously has a close connection to her. So, I mean, what we've seen the last couple of episodes is Nala say trying to save, you know, many of the clones. So I can't imagine her being like the torturing type, if you will. Now, I was interested True. because there's multiple vats in that mm. lab. So were there other mutations, you know, happening here? Like, are we going to see other enhanced clones eventually, maybe? Um, perhaps. I mean, that would be a great way to continue on the show. Um, they just run into other people that would be considered bad batch. Mm -hmm. Right. And possibly like new members of the team. Pretty much a Power Rangers situation at that point. <laughs> so Omega and the crew find a, the droid AZ in hiding and are able to locate Hunter in the facility, uh, who at the time is going back and forth with Crosshair. And this is where we really get into like the thick of things and the heart of this story. Um, you know, Crosshair feels like the Bad Batch abandoned him and just gave up on him, even though at the time his actions weren't really his own. Crosshair tells Hunter that he's going to give the Bad Batch something that they didn't give him, a second chance. And that, you know, he wants the Bad Batch to join him and the Empire because, you know, they're superior and that's what they were made to do. And imagine what they could accomplish with the power of the Empire behind them. Crosshair even goes on to tell uh, Hunter that he needs to go ahead and end the charade with Omega and just send her away because she'll never be truly safe hanging out with the Bad Batch, which is actually something that both me and Christian been saying the entire time. Hunter then tells uh, Crosshair that he needs to let the Bad Batch help him and get his inhibitor chip removed. Crosshair then reveals that the inhibitor chip has already been removed and he's been working for the Empire underneath his own free will. This is definitely something we've been speculating about. I'm guessing that the blast that he took on the Scrapper planet might have taken care of the chip just because he didn't have that giant scar on the side of his head until after that episode. Um, but I feel like this just adds a much more interesting wrinkle to the story between, you know, the Bad Batch and Crosshair. If you remember, like in the beginning of the series, we were talking about like if the clones truly have free will well, here we find out that Crosshair does have free will and he's a complete fucking psychopath. But to that point, we I don't I don't think we've seen him do anything nearly as twisted as he was before that moment, if you want to say it like that. I mean, he was killing whole families <laughs> before that he got damaged. Well, he does shoot the senator in the head. Yes, but that's one person. <laughs> compared to family. Well, that's only one. <laughs> <laughs> he does try to uh, crash Hera's ship. Okay. Uh, these are small Christian, he's things, not a good though, guy in comparison. It's small things. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what he's doing off camera, Christian. <laughs> I guess. Fair enough. He could enough. be drinking the blood of fucking younglings for all we know. <laughs> are you, well, yes, are you uh, trying to look for redemption for Crosshair? No. I, I guess not. Because this whole speech just... is about you know them like living up to what they were made for and basically you know conquering along with the empire so i mean i don't know like i could Every, see him maybe learned <laughs> i mean after the end of this episode you know with everything that happens i could see maybe him redeeming himself in the eyes of the bad batch by like you know saving them somehow and sacrificing himself um but I don't think you could ever accuse Crosshair of being a good person. You know, um, you know, he's made his choices. And obviously, uh -huh. I think a lot of them were due 
regardless of the inhibitor chip. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I like to think that he's just not had one for a very long time and it's not even part of the show. Uh. That's I, I think that's the much more interesting story. Like, mm-hmm. it, like his inhibitor chip was never even working, but they obviously told us in the beginning of the series that it was. So, yes, you know, well. we can't go that route, unfortunately. But I mean, maybe we do find out that he had it removed very early on. I don't know. But at, at least like what you said, he had the voice of reason here. They're just bringing Omega into danger at every possible fucking chance that they can get. Uh, I don't know. But maybe part of that's just jealousy, too. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. that, you know, she's kind of replaced him on the team now. Mm-hmm. He obviously doesn't care about getting blood on his hands still because we see what happens, you know, between him and the elite squad in a moment. Now, with all that being said, whether or not the Bad Batch will actually forgive him for his like past sins is a total another thing because we've seen Star Wars, like <laughs> these characters are way too fucking forgiving. I mean, look at Rey fucking, you know, making out with Kylo at the end uh-huh. after, you know, he commits fucking genocide, you know, so. Or, I mean, Padme forgiving Anakin for, you know, slaughtering all those, like, Tusken Raiders, you know, women and children, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. Forgiveness is in abundance in the galaxy far, far away, apparently. No, I, I absolutely do think they would forgive him. But at the same time, you know, Filoni's done a great job with writing, you know, with the emotional aspects of everything and why they would be behind that behind him at this point. Um, like, the scene in general, just, it, it was really well handled how... Um, you know, he conveyed his feelings of betrayal and everything mm. like that and why we're here at this situation. So I, th- I think if they do forgive him, they'll at least it won't feel as weird as Padme just saying, hey, yeah, that's OK. <laughs> I still love you for after killing all those poor people in the fucking uh-huh. desert. <laughs> we're going to have a baby, right? <laughs> uh-huh. No, and I'm totally happy with you know, Filoni's choice here. Cause I mean, you remember at the end of the last episode, I was just assuming that we we're going to get like full fledged, like face turn from crosshair. And it was just mm-hmm. kind of a plan this entire time to get, you know, close to the bad batch. So then he could get them to help him out, like, you know, overthrowing the empire or, you know, running away or whatever, or freeing the clones. So I was much more satisfied with this reveal. So meanwhile, you know, while this whole conversation is taking place, the Bad Batch are trying to surprise Crosshair and just fail miserably. Uh, Omega, who was supposed to contact Rax if they needed help, decides to activate some droids who look like some kind of version, maybe early version of the Dark Troopers from Mando. Uh, You know, she's trying to use them to cause a distraction. This backfires epically because Crosshair ends up taking out the rest of the Elite Squad himself uh, with one single badass shot when they refuse his orders to stand down when he's trying to, like, you know, prove that he's trustworthy to the Bad Batch. Um, Apparently, Omega unleashed just way too many droids because this ends up causing Crosshair having to, like, team up with the Bad Batch to take them all out. Even Omega gets involved in the action. After this is all said and done, Hunter does end up getting the drop on Crosshair and ends up stunning him. I mean, yeah, I I love how he handled the reunion of them getting back together. I mean, it was like a forced situation where, yeah, they have to fight all these droids now that Omega's just sprung 
on them, but it was still a good time. I thought the action sequence was very, oh, yeah. you know, Yeah, seeing them watch. all work together again, yeah. It was earned. <laughs> yes, no, I agree 100%. And it made sense, even though it was short-lived. So next, we see Rampart getting a report from, like, the one lone left uh, lead squad member who Crosshair didn't take out. Uh, she lets Rampart know of Crosshair's actions, and then underneath the orders of Tarkin, Rampart begins to destroy the cloning facility with the Bad Batch and Crosshair left inside. And that's how we end the episode with the Bad Batch trying to escape the facility with Crosshair's unconscious body. Now, from here, I don't know exactly where we're going, but in this episode alone, I definitely think this is one of the uh, better episodes of the season. Just the interactions were so well written throughout. But at the same time, I don't know what what's going on this next episode and like with this in mind of being a two-parter like you had told me last week this doesn't feel like a two-parter like Mm -hmm. it feels like something that they would have to immediately resolve at the start of the next episode just so that they could move into whatever the plot is unless they make the entire episode be them just trying to survive this attack I could see that, and that's why it's a two-parter. Like, maybe we got most of the story up front, and then, you know, with the the last episode, it's more of, you know, the action, and you're going to see them have to, like, escape Kamino, and then, you know, we find out whether or not, you know, Crosshair chooses to leave with them, and, you know, it kind of just sets up that second season. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy that we are getting a second season, just based off of how much has been kind of left on the table at this point. You know, like, I things that come to mind is like what's going on with Cad Bane and Finnick at this point you know there's so much that they introduced here that if there wasn't a second season I, I would be kind of frustrated right? at this and point. Then, but I'm, I'm glad that we especially that like knowing who Omega is like I, I can't mm. I can't fathom like Boba Fett not coming into like you know this story yes. at some point mm-hmm. and what I would really love to see is like the Bad Batch cross paths with Vader you know, do oh, they become yeah. such mm-hmm. a threat eventually that, you know, Vader gets sent in or like maybe some Inquisitors for that matter? You know, do we see like think... the rise of the Inquisitors? You know how that all starts. So, I mean, is Rampart a character that is disposable and eventually Tarkin's going to get, you know, wary of him and, you know, impatient and, you know, he ends up getting, you know, executed or choked out by Vader. And then maybe <laughs> Tarkin ends up sending in, you know, Vader, you know, to handle things, the big guns. Mm. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, there's so many different, you know, avenues they can explore. We know Rax is probably working with some like early version of like the Alliance and, and probably Ahsoka. So like, you know, mm. do we get like a couple episodes here and there with Ahsoka? You know, does the batch end up joining the alliance here? Um, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit, really. You know, I mean, and then maybe possibly you'll find out like, you know, what's happening with your favorite, you know, character, Jar Jar. Oh my god. <laughs> I could see Filoni <laughs> wanting to give Jar Jar some type of storyline uh-huh. outside of it. I could see you wanting that. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> you want to tell everyone how he almost made your top 10 list? A favorite Star Wars no, character? He never, he never you got told anywhere me he close. was a close number, like 11. Mean? Like he was a shame. No, a shame. No, I never. I don't want hey, this is I don't want to expose you on this podcast, Christian. Okay. Oh my god! <laughs> I already get enough. But hate I'm watching for that you on Zoom count. right now, and you're wearing a Jar Jar Binks fucking shirt and I am hat. Not. <laughs> this is a My Hero Academia shirt. I am not wearing a hat today. I, I I want these lies 
put to bed now okay, before man. I get it's okay. executed <laughs> by the internet. <laughs> Everyone needs a little Jar Jar now and then. I, you can have them, all right? All yours. You know Filoni would totally bring him in. Yes, he would. That's what I was saying. I'm like, if anyone's going to make a, like, quote-unquote redemption arc for Jar Jar Binks, it's going to be Filoni. Or he makes him the Dark Lord of the Sith all along, and that's where he really <laughs> oh, needs to Oh, like be. he's like one of the first Inquisitors? That'd be, that'd be yeah, awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Give me that episode. <laughs> But all right, make sure to join us for the grand finale of The Bad Batch after 16 weeks of it. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, we got some GTA news. And no, it's not for GTA 6, but it's for remakes of some of the franchise's biggest hits. We're talking GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas are reportedly getting remastered in Unreal Engine, and actually set to release this fall. Kutaku claims that the project has been underway for quite a while by Rockstar's Scottish branch, Rockstar Dundee, and the game is looking to capture a nostalgic feel of mixing both new and old graphics. Whatever that may look like. Based off what Kutaku's sources say, it, it kind of looks like a heavily modded version of the PS2 classics. Apparently this trilogy of remakes was originally slated for a release with GTA 5, so this really has kind of been in the works for quite a while. The rumors claim that you can expect the remakes to show up on all current and next-gen consoles along with PC and Stadia, though the PC port may come out next year with their main focus on the consoles for this time around. In my eyes, if these remakes are to come out this fall, I get the impression that we might be getting an announcement for GTA 6 um, maybe early next year or, you know, mid next year in general. Um, I don't know about the game coming out next year, but I have a feeling that we'll at least get an announcement for GTA 6 um, in 2022. But speaking of theft, we recently announced our next big PCW event for the end of August. In our WWE 2K19 Universe mode, we're doing our very own version of Money in the Bank called The Heist, where eight men will be competing for the chance at the golden ticket in a ladder match. That winner goes on to challenge for the title at any time they want. You can help deciding who gets to be in this ladder match by participating in our polls on social media. More fun announcements are surrounding this event coming soon, so make sure that you're following me at AmazingNerdLive on Twitter for all of our stream updates. And of course, make sure that you're watching us live on Twitch every Thursday through Sunday at 12 noon Central Time for all of our gaming streams in general. But alright, now on to wrestling. Next week! I'm going to take away something from you that you love, something you cherish, something that has helped you win each and every single one of these labors thus far. Chris, next week, no Judas effect. No Judas music. You are going to be coming out here to dead silence. These schmucks are not going to be able to sing along to your crappy little song. And if you hit me with Judas Effect, Chris, I automatically win. All right, Christian. So it was another crazy week, unfortunately, in the world of wrestling. Uh, there is change in the air for NXT, and it's not the good kind of change. This past Friday, they released 13 people 
on the roster. Christian, go ahead and give us those names. Yep, uh, that's going to be Bobby Fish, Bronson Reed, Jake Atlas, Ari Sterling, Kona Reeves, um, Leon Ruff, uh, Stephen Smith, Tyler Rust, Zachariah Smith, Asher Hale, Giant Zangier, and Mercedes Martinez. Probably the most shocking one for me. Well, for me, I mean, the most shocking name on this list is Bronson Reed. I mean, he was being pushed. Mm -hmm. He just recently had the North American title. It seemed like the only reason they took the belt off of him was because they were kind of like auditioning him for the main roster. He was working a bunch of main event matches. And it felt like they actually liked him. He was being called up sooner than later. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, we get this report and he's no longer part of the roster at all. Gone. Um, I mean, some of the names, honestly, like I didn't realize were still on the roster. But then some of the wrestlers just signed recently. So the fact that they cut him that quickly is just insane. So apparently this is all due to a new edict and philosophy when it comes to NXT. And this isn't coming from Shawn Michaels and Triple H, who basically been running the show. This is coming from Pritchard McMahon and John Laurinaitis. And this report is coming from the Observer, uh, the feeling is that they lost the war with AEW and that they need to get back to younger and bigger wrestlers that they could see eventually main eventing WrestleMania. And this is, of course, all in like McMahon's eyes, his perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. So the paraphrase quote coming from behind the scenes, and this is coming from Meltzer once again, um, is no more little people, no one like starting in the 30s. They want people who can be box office attractions and main characters, I guess, on the roster. Um, So with that being said, the future just feels very bleak for NXT mm-hmm. and we're we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks you know with how they've been booking you know stars like Keith Lee and Karrion Cross uh with their debuts on the main roster it just feels like there's no longer any bother with continuity between the two brands like WWE is now treating NXT like a straight up like developmental like territory you know not its own brand at all um, which is kind of, you know, back to the roots of NXT when it first started out. Uh, just think about where NXT was just like two years ago, like how it was white hot and how like it was the yes. talk of like the wrestling world and how like, you know, month after month they were putting on better shows than the main roster. Ones that like rivaled anything we were getting from like, you know, around the world to yes. now where they've just been kind of treated like the redheaded stepchild unfortunately it's just sad to think that this is all due to like mcmahon suffering you know some kind of embarrassment in his own mind due to you know nxt losing this quote-unquote war on wednesday night with AEW, which isn't even really true but it's all perception i guess you know mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the whole reason why NXT ended up moving off Wednesday nights was because they signed that deal with the NHL. Uh, USA did. So that was the real reason. So, I mean, yeah, they were getting killed ratings-wise, but they still would have been on Wednesday nights. But it's just apparently too much for McMahon to take now. And, you know, quote-unquote, the experiment is over. Um, 
which is just unfortunate, you know. I'm wondering what, you know, what this means for talents like Ciampa and Gargano and, you know, because they obviously don't fit that WWE mold. And who knows what this means for, you know, talent like Gargano and Ciampa who definitely don't fit that, like, main roster mold or, or what WWE is looking for in an NXT talent. So... <laughs> You know, I, I can't imagine them lasting much longer, you know, even on NXT, you know, who's to say that they're not cut soon, unfortunately, which is just crazy. Like, who's going to be left on that roster? And it's just like even even with them cutting out the people that they don't want, you know, they want to turn NXT into this main character factory, um, whatever that means, <laughs> whatever that means. Yes. Um, yeah. With people that we see them like having fit that mold already moving up to like to the main roster, like people that we would think like Keith Lee, you know, yes, they don't know what to do with. They don't know what to write for these guys. So it's like even if they found their perfect mold, this doesn't mean jack shit for them. If they don't know how to write for them, they don't know how to build them. There's no point to any of this. They're just getting rid of potentially their best stars for what they think is the perfect ideal mold. And I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, it really does feel like they're looking to make examples out of wrestlers like Keith Lee and like Karrion Cross just because they were being mm-hmm. pushed on NXT. Um, you Because you, yes, they typically would be wrestlers who would be, you know, can't miss on the roster. Um, but they're stripping them away of everything that makes them special and then just having them lose, you know, match after match. I know, I think Cross actually ended up winning a match this past week. Um, but whatever, at this point, after the crowd has seen you lose multiple times, like during your debut, I, they're kind of over you. You know, I mean... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Like, it feels like they're making these guys have to earn their stripes, you know, on the main roster, even though, like, they busted their asses on NXT. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's such backward thinking. And all you're doing is hurting your own product. You know, this is coming from a guy in the past, McMahon, who would have talent debut in his company only after they had like, you know, 50 fucking vignettes, you know, pushing them like down your throat to make them feel like stars before you ever saw them in the ring. So the fact Mm -hmm. that he's completely done a fucking 180 when it comes to that, like, you know, philosophy just feels completely insane and makes no sense. And it could only be coming out of a place of malice, no pun intended. I mean, yeah, everything just feels backwards. And this clearly, like, as we've seen from talent and across the board in all these companies, this isn't the, like, their ideal mold isn't the future of wrestling. It's just not how things are going to be in the future for, you know, the top stars to, shouldn't have to fit this, like, I'm 6'5 and can possibly go up against and lose to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. That shouldn't be mm-hmm. what the mold is going to be for the next it's 10 years. It's a very, like, 1986 outlook on mm-hmm. things. McMahon has reverted back Streaming. to lusting over <laughs> bodybuilders and giants again. You know, which was his wheelhouse. And he had to be, you know, retrained. And it really felt like he got out of that, like, tunnel vision booking and started to kind of, like, broaden his horizons, you know, with, you know, over the last, like, 10 years by giving smaller wrestlers a chance. Um, 
you know, and signing smaller wrestlers, wrestlers who would never, you know, be huge stars on his main roster like 20 years ago, like AJ Styles. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like now that he's kind of in the corner and he sees that, you know, maybe, you know, TV ratings are going down and, you know, I guess house shows are back up just because of Cena. But I mean, maybe that's part of it. He sees, OK, well, Cena's a you know, former bodybuilder, you know, big dude, former, you know, superstar, you know, maybe that's what fans want. But everything that we've seen, you know, in the wrestling world and just in combat sports in general is that's just not true because some of the biggest stars in the world of like combat sports, mixed martial arts and boxing are the fucking middleweights. Because it's a much more fast pace. They put on a more entertaining mm. show. And that's kind of the way wrestling's been going lately. But, you know, McMahon is just going back to, you know, what got him to the dance. And I, I, I guess you can't blame him to a certain extent. But I don't know. It's just so disappointing. Like, I wonder, I mean, do you think an HBK would make it today in wrestling if he were to show up, you know, babyface brand new? To the company. I mean, Shawn Michaels has always been the exception to Vince's rule just because of his, you know, athleticism and his natural charisma. I mean, he's also deceptively mm-hmm. tall. Like, he is, like, at least 6'1", I believe. So, um, and at the time when he was in his prime, he was at least 220. So, I mean, later on, I mean, he definitely, you know, got closer to maybe 200. Um, he, he, he definitely could have been on 205 Live, you know. <laughs> When he made his return after, you know, all the issues with his back. But yeah, back in like those early DX days, he was a pretty built guy. So I feel like he has he has a chance. But a guy like Adam Cole, I feel like he's got a snowball's chance in hell. Like he's, you know, and I know they're, you know, trying to get him to like, you know, sign a new contract. They had a big meeting like during SmackDown behind closed doors. Uh, I, I guess just negotiating. Um if I was Cole, I would run far, far away from WWE because <laughs> I think it's going to be a case where they're just trying to sign him to keep him away from AEW because they have been bleeding mm-hmm. so much talent recently and just basically handing them over to AEW. Um, I feel like, you know, especially with Triple H having Vince's ear, like it's more of a keep away situation and he's probably someone that they could just keep him down in NXT for life. And, you know, he can carry the roster, but like Cole's future on the main roster, you know, no way. I mean, maybe as like a tag team wrestler, like Bobby Roode, but he's just way too small in Vince's eyes. I mean, Shawn Michaels in his prime would tower over Adam Cole you know, um, physically. So I I can't see that working out. And maybe this is the exception to the rule. I don't know. Maybe this is a case of Vince, like, seeing his charisma and being, like, convinced that he can push him to the top. But, you know, he's got to be special. He's got to be the one small guy. Because we do know how much, you know, Vince loves that, you know, David versus Goliath story. But you can't have a bunch of Davids running around, right? So, yeah, that's the only way I could see it possibly working. But if I was Adam Cole, I would be headed out the door right after a fucking takeover um, and not look back because it's just it's not going to end well. And maybe he maybe he negotiates himself like a huge signing bonus or something like that, you know, just to give him some kind of protection. Because right now, I mean, anyone on that roster can't feel safe. 
right? No. Like, I can't not not one. I can't single even person. imagine what the morale's like, you know, in the locker room. You know, because if someone like Bray and Braun can get cut, mm-hmm. then anyone besides like Roman, anyone. no one's safe. I mean, to me, that says like the only people who are truly safe are wrestlers like Roman, maybe Charlotte, maybe Becky, but that's it. Like, no one's safe. You know, in the locker room, no one's safe. No, it's it's insane. And just a fun fact that I keep forgetting about. There are currently now only five members of the 205 live roster oh, really? still around. And only and only three of them live in the States. So the other two are part of the NXT UK. So that roster is just gone. Oh, wow. That's just, I didn't realize that. A thing they don't That's have real, anymore. There's only much. five roster members. Right? Yes, if you go on their website right now, they only have five 205 live people. Now NXT has a lot of like wrestlers under contract who are just currently training. Um, so I could see them maybe moving them over uh, if they want to keep that show going. But I don't even see why you keep the show going anymore because it's not like anyone watches it, (laughs) right? I don't even know what day it's on. No, I have no idea. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Because they, yeah, they release like Tony Nese, right? Man, Mm -hmm. who the fuck is left over there? They're all gone. (laughs) It's just Santos Escobar, Brian Kendrick, who I haven't seen in forever. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Spanky. Uh What the fuck? Why isn't he on NXT? He'd be great. I don't know. I don't when know. Is, what's happening? Oh, my God. Because especially, <laughs> you know what I don't get is like you think you would think that you would need to at least keep like a core group of veterans on NXT to help train basically the younger wrestlers in the ring. And you could have mm-hmm. those guys be your NXT lifers. And maybe they end up doing that. But from this report that we're getting from like the Observer and elsewhere, that doesn't seem to be the case. But usually, like, with a developmental territory, that's what happens, is you have older, you know, wrestlers who are working as, like, player coaches, you know, where they're, you know, they're wrestling, but they're coaching at the same time. I mean, God, think about Samoa Joe. I mean, he just re-signed with them, right? He can't feel fucking safe. <laughs> no. Man, who's he got left to enforce? Yeah, well, he's done. He's uh, you, that storyline's over. That oh, lasted yes, like yes. a month, unfortunately. Yeah, I forgot about that. So, uh, they went right into the fucking carrying cross uh, angle, and you know WWE mm-hmm. is trying to kill that. And apparently Vince doesn't give a shit, and he's just trying to kill any heat. You know that feud had by like having carrying cross lose to Jeff Hardy on Raw in fucking two minutes. So. um I don't know. Yeah, it's a scary time, you know, to be a wrestler in the WWE right now, I guess. So, all right. So briefly, uh, we just watched Dynamite. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, So let's touch on this. It seems like Christian is going to be the number one contender uh, at All Out to face off against uh, Kenny Omega for the AEW world title. Yes, Damon, Um, it's going to be a hard fought bout, but I think I can do it. I think I can finally (laughs) beat Kenny Omega. Um, and take the title. You would last maybe 10 seconds. In <laughs> oh, yeah. One V-Trigger, I'm dead. I mean, I'm Omega's dead. talented, and he could have a good match with the broom, but I don't think he's that talented. <laughs> Although I would pay to see you get one winged angel. Like, good there, money, too. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> good money, Christian. 
Uh, anyway, so, uh, yes, no, it seems like Christian's going to be getting the title shot at All Out. But then, strangely enough, it was announced that Christian would also be getting a title shot for the Impact World title against Kenny on Rampage. So this, and that's taking place, obviously, before the pay-per-view. So, like, a really strange booking choice here by Tony Khan and very un-AEW-like because they typically don't do any kind of rematches, but especially one, like, going into a pay-per-view. Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, that's, like, out of, like, the, like, McMahon-like mm-hmm. playbook. So, I don't know. It's a little concerning, and I'm wondering if they just feel like, listen, this pay-per-view is going to sell no matter what, since we're probably going to have, like, the debut match of CM Punk on it. So, we don't really need to worry about, like, the main event here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Now, at the time, the crowd, the way they reacted was so fucking hot for this that I was sold. But afterwards, I was like, wait a second. That's so bizarre to me. <laughs> But it's it's amazing, like, what a hot crowd will make you forgive, Mm. right? (laughs) And I feel like you'll forgive it at All Out when the Chicago crowd is completely behind, you know, Christian versus Omega anyway. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that. Now, do you think Christian will actually end up winning that Impact title? Yeah, I don't. Maybe for a couple, because, I mean, does he go into All Out with a loss underneath his belt to Omega? I don't know, because I, I don't want to see Omega lose right before a pay-per-view event. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it it makes sense if they wanted to, like, spice things up a bit with to have Christian win that title off of him. Then he can even make appearances on, you know, Impact and, you know, even spring more people's interest in both companies and stuff like that. So, Or, I mean, you could have him do, like, title versus title at All Out then. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, some more stakes, you know, on the line at least. Even though that's, like, what, like, two weeks away? So, mm-hmm. I mean, how really, like, hyped can you get about that? Because there's no way I can see Christian walking away with all the belts. No. That's um, <laughs> just too much. Oh, my so, God. When uh, uh, when they first, when he first said, like, I see that there's other belts there. I was like, oh, is he going to challenge for all of them in one go? <laughs> <laughs> the, the audacity. But that's what I thought, too, honestly, because uh, I didn't foresee them having a separate title match before the fucking pay-per-view. No, yeah. Because that's just bizarre booking for Khan. It just doesn't fit his M.O. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, speaking of which, I just assumed this entire time that the MJF Jericho match was going to be on the pay-per-view, but apparently that's also not the case. Um, that match is going to take place. It seems like on dynamite next week, which is another bizarre choice because after all this buildup, I was just assuming that that's a pay-per-view quality match, mm-hmm. which it still is. But why blow that off on a Dynamite? Unless, once again, they figure that pay-per-view is just going to sell itself and they, they can have, you know, this match on Dynamite and do a big rating with it. Because they definitely have a lot of momentum going mm-hmm. with these ratings. They've done, like, over a million over the last, what, like, four weeks? Yes. Um, I mean, it makes sense if they want to get closer to, like, raw numbers and stuff like that. If they want, they're trying to push up there. But yeah, I I don't know. I would imagine that you would have saved this for especially this one in particular because there's been so much build up behind like the labors of Jericho. I I definitely thought, you know, that's the pay-per-view match. Mhm. But yeah, that felt like like the co-main event mm-hmm. if anything. 
Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the match with Warlow tonight. It was fine for what it is, but I don't know. It felt really short to me and kind of like anticlimactic, mm-hmm. you know, especially after all the other shit that, you know, MJF put Jericho through for him just to have like a straight up like one on one match where the stipulation is just, you know, MJF being in his corner. I was like, that would happen on any other match yeah. like that. You know, usually <laughs> one of the pinnacle is in, you know, one of their teammates corners. So I don't understand why that was a major deal, but whatever. Um, Now, this match with MJF, which is the fifth labor, which I thought there was actually five labors to get to MJF, but I guess I was confused. This match, he can't use, Jericho can't use the uh, Judas effect in it. So I was like, okay. And I guess he's also not allowed to use his entrance music, (laughs) which just tells me they're just trying to get the crowd to sink him completely Uh down to the ring, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean... It feels a bit of a waste to me. Like, that just feels like a pay-per-view caliber match. Um, but once again, maybe they're more focused on ratings right now. I, as long as it works for them. There was another uh, dig during the show between MJF and Wardlow. So I don't know if Wardlow is eventually going to turn on MJF, but uh, we'll I see. I see that. I could see that. I thought Sean Spears would be the first person out of the pinnacle. You know, the first guy to get replaced. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe it ends up being Wardlow. Because I do think Wardlow has, like, potential to be a huge baby face. You know, if he's pushed right. Yeah, but some definite, like, outside-of-the-box booking from, you know, Tony Khan and the crew. Um, We'll see how it all, like, shapes up for the pay-per-view. Because they really don't even have many matches, like, actually announced right now. I mean, we've got Omega versus Christian for the world title. We've got the Women's Casino Royale, right? That's the yeah, thing again. For right. the have they done a have they, women's? Have they done a women's version I, of that? I believe so. I think there's been at least one. Okay. With the I know they did some type of battle royal. Um, supposedly, it's rumored that uh, Ruby Riot, the former Ruby Riot, will be debuting, uh, and I think she's going by Ruby Soho, okay. uh, named after the Rancid song. So maybe she'll actually get to use that song as her entrance music, which would be pretty cool. Pretty we'll see. I mean, Tony is buying songs now, left and right, uh-huh. it seems like. So. <laughs> I'd be really excited, though, if they do sign her, because I think she's fantastic. Uh, mm. And I think she would definitely elevate the women's division big time. So, um, But yeah, no. And then what other match do we have, Christian? We have uh, Pac versus Andrade. And that's officially going to take place, because that was announced yes. tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So that's officially going to take place on the pay-per-view? Yes. And maybe with the way that that promo went, maybe they'll do um, Death Triangle versus the Elite for the titles. I don't know. Because they definitely were like, oh, go after the gold. But there's only two weeks, so I, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot to elevate. Yeah, not much of a build-up, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Not a lot of build-up there. We know that uh, the Young Bucks will be facing off against Jurassic Express. Yes. Um, but that is going to be on a dynamite. <laughs> so, once again, once Christian was named the number one contender, I was like, oh, well, I could definitely see them going with Jurassic Express at the pay-per-view against the Young Bucks since, you know, Christian's been kind of, like, hanging with those guys. Yeah. But apparently not they're gonna just you know have a match on you know dynamite or rampage one of the two i don't remember which one i mean it's gonna be a hell of a match and i love the little like backstage promo they cut with you know luchasaurus fucking you know blocking uh nick's uh shot Uh so i thought that was well done but yeah no 
we'll see. maybe they win the titles. You know, and maybe they have a rematch on the pay-per-view since now rematches are a thing on AEW. So, um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the rematch thing. I no. liked that AEW didn't do that many rematches. You know, it was something that would have to be earned. It was very, like, New Japan-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, that just because you lost a title doesn't mean that you automatically get a rematch. You know, or, you know, if you lose a match in a few, that doesn't mean that we have to have, you know, multiple matches and eventually rubber match, you know, mm-hmm. to close it out. You know, it's not a full-fledged program all the time. I felt like it kind of kept things fresh and different, you know, from the other, you know, brands. So, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's a one-time only thing and maybe they're just experimenting. I won't hit the panic button yet. <laughs> so that's going to do it for wrestling this week. Uh Join us back next week, and hopefully no one else has been fired by then. And hey, we'll have Rampage to talk about, too. That's right, the debut of Rampage. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly, it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, we'll be reviewing Don't Breathe 2, and we'll also be breaking down part two of the season finale of The Bad Batch. And we'll be getting into the second episode of What If, and we'll be talking AEW's debut show, Rampage. Well, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. He's embarrassing. But, uh... My friend might have been banished. My forgotten. The bosses would do terrible things to me. Terrible things to me if me going back there. <laughs>